0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, thank you for checking out this special episode of Holly's Pickens, the podcast. Now, I know I usually talk about football on my episodes, and I also know that I said I was not going to make any new recordings once my son was born, but I will say that he came a little bit early, he's healthy, and everything is good in that regard, But I do want to, I don't want to say do a rebroadcast, but maybe add something new to Spotify for podcasters. At Dry Anchor is now Spotify for podcasters. Uh, My friend Ryan Kendrick and I hosted a uh, YouTube show called Ryan and Derek Question Everything, and we had a guest, Ryan Frick, aka Bully Rye of Caveats and Touchdowns, And we were talking about the current writing of WWE compared to what it was in the past. So hopefully you enjoy this and look forward to talking some more football with y'all later on. welcome everyone to this segment uh you asked for a wrestling segment and that's what you're going to get not exactly what you thought but it's what you deserve uh we have a guest today uh ryan frick if you want to introduce yourself properly go right on ahead hey
1: everybody thanks for having me on the show it's your guy bully rye host of the tap outs and touchdowns podcast you can find me wherever you get your podcast spotify Google Play, Apple. Uh, I do a show that focuses on pro wrestling and pro football slash fantasy football. Uh, I, I greatly appreciate you guys having me on the show today, and I'm looking forward to talking to some wrestling with you guys.
2: Not a problem. We're glad to have you. Absolutely. So I guess the topic that we're going to talk about is the writing of wrestling. The from the Attitude Era. Early NWO to now, does it suck or is it just me?
1: Yeah, I mean, if if I can start us off here, um, there's obviously a, a big difference. So you could even backtrack to uh, even before the the Attitude Era or the NWO Era in WCW. Uh, you know, you can go back to the to the 70s where it was very, um, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of, of Gaga with storylines. It was all focused mainly on the wrestling and how it works. And then you go to the eighties where you have these larger than life superstar characters, uh, come out. I mean, you think of guys like obviously like Hulk Hogan, you've got Ric Flair and the four horsemen down in, uh, WCW in the Jim Crockett area. Um, you know, you've got the ultimate warrior coming out of the late eighties, early nineties. Um, you see, so a lot of that stuff, it's sort of Transition from being the the sport of pro wrestling into what Vince McMahon would eventually call sports entertainment. So you go from having these larger than life characters to all of a sudden now Eric Bischoff takes over in WCW and decides, you know what, Vince McMahon and WWE or WWF at the time have all these characters. I'm going to make it real or f- feel as real as possible. So when WCW decided to start doing their their realism angles. With the NWO and the takeover, then all of a sudden Vince McMahon decided to push the envelope and have things feel more real, but um, go a little more adult with it. So a lot of the storylines back then, if you actually go back and watch them now, a lot of them are very cringeworthy. Specifically with like the sexuality that was brought to the shows being, oh, yeah, with yeah with with the women that were in the in the shows, uh, you know they they were sexualized very, very exclusively. Um, The language obviously picked up. So, you know, if you look back on it, I'm not sure if you could say that the writing back then was any better or the producing of matches back then were were any better. But I think, at least from my perspective, the realism aspect has come from that NWO Attitude era, full circle back to the the character type um, arcs that they have now. Um, where, you know, you've got uh, an Alexa Bliss uh, on who's on Monday Night Raw who has got a, a gimmick that she has, has kind of taken over from Bray Wyatt where she's just yeah. this creepy girl that can hypnotize people with her eyes. Um, you know, it's, so it's, I mean, you guys can speak on it. Like, I don't know if there's a, specifically a change in the writing um, or if it's just a, a product of the times.
2: Yeah, well, there's something that you. So you did mention the sexualization of the women, like the Bischoff era. Whenever he came to the WWE, it was like the first couple weeks was like HLA as all they wanted, hot lesbian action, and then they would be like, "Oh, okay, we're we're gonna have somebody that pissed me off come over." And we're going to give them lesbians. And then all of a sudden it'll change to you've got three minutes and the three minute warning would come out. And then before that, um, just Trish Stratus and how she was made to crawl on all fours and bark like a dog to Vince McMahon. And how whenever Tori Wilson came in, um, she was on Raw for a little bit. And then went over to SmackDown and she was on the cover of Playboy and Eric Bischoff was wanting Lita to be on the cover of Playboy and wanting to see her assets in his hotel room. Hmm. So, yeah, that right there. And then, like I said, Alexa Bliss um, goes over the Fiend and that whole thing, especially with WrestleMania, I didn't understand it at all. It just really didn't make any sense. It's like now you've got hair and Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke, and then you've got one big person, which is um, Nia Jax, and you don't
0: really have anybody that can
2: really take her out.
0: Yeah. uh, I I, I guess we'll kind of spitball off one another. Uh, I haven't been able to watch – WWE or New Japan or AEW or, or anything like that due to my work schedule. But uh, I briefly remember a feud between when I guess when Nia Jax was the champion and uh, Alexa Bliss was, I guess, challenging her and uh, trying to be the bad guy. Storytelling wise, logically to me, <clears throat> that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make much sense, let me put it that way. Because uh, usually the bigger person would be. The bully compared to the smaller person and Alexa Bliss, like, three of her would equal one of Nia Jax, so it was hard for me to wrap my head around uh, that, the writing, the storytelling of how Alexa Bliss was bullying Nia Jax.
1: Yeah, I think uh, to your point, I think the the concept behind that angle uh, had to do with uh, WWE has been trying this anti-bullying campaign for years, even though a lot of their their heel work has to do with potentially the bullying from one superstar to another. So when you would typically have like a, a small, pretty blonde, she's going to make fun of the, you know, the giant woman, uh, the stereotypical giant woman. You know, Nia Jax is much taller than she is, obviously a much, much bigger stature than, than Alexa Bliss is. So I sort of understood the, the writing behind making Bliss the heel instead of Nia Jax. Uh, I mean, to your point, the monsters make for better heels. Uh, But at the same time, like, you know, Andre the Giant was a babyface for years before the Hulk Hogan angle. Um, The problem you have with heels being the bigger guys is typically in the heel storylines, they're going to have to do something underhanded to go over. So if you have a Nia Jax as a heel against an Alexa Bliss, She's already got the the size advantage, mm-hmm. so how can you book that to counter? Like Nia Jax isn't going to need something underhanded to beat uh, you know Alexa Bliss realistically. So it also makes sense from that standpoint that Alexa Bliss is smaller uh, in every sh- you know way, shape, or form. So she's going to have to plot all the stops to knock off the babyface Nia Jax. So uh, from from the writing standpoint, that's that's sort of. I think that sort of makes sense. I think to your point and and what we've talked about offline and what's you know one of the reasons for me being on the show is that there there have been so many opportunities specifically within WWE they have missed out because of either poor uh, poor booking, i.e. poor producer decisions, whatever the case may be, or poor writing. Um, I had a show a few weeks ago where I had about four other guys come and do a panel with me, and we talked about all of the releases since uh the beginning of the year from wwe um and and some of those you know included samoa joe who's already returned to nxt uh you've got you know they just had a, a new slew of releases as as early as this past week with with brie zango among others um but one of the names that came up was was bo dallas uh yeah. the real life grandson of uh, blackjack mulligan the real life son of mike rotunda, rotunda is it Rotundo? Whatever it is. IRS, uh, known in WWE, VK Wall Street, and WCW, and the real-life brother of Bray Wyatt. And so the panel that was on my show and I discussed the fact that Bo Dallas was booked as this uh, semi-inspirational speaker uh, who was a bad guy. He had this gimmick where he ran around telling people to Bo leave yep. uh, while, while his brother got over not only in NXT but on the main roster as this sort of cult leader in Bray Wyatt. And so... We we kind of had this discussion like well, simply the ball that got dropped by them not somehow manufacturing a storyline where you would incorporate Bo Dallas in into storyline with his brother, be it you know uh, he you know he's taken over uh, you know as far as this cult following by Bray Wyatt so Bray, Bray Wyatt not only has his family at the time with with Luke Harper and Eric Rowan and at one time Braun Strowman. But at some point, like he can collect followers like he tried to get Randy Orton in the Wyatt family for a while. And they were uh, John Cena, Daniel Bryan. I think the logical right answer would have been to somehow incorporate Bo Dallas and and somehow manufacture and, and bring it to storyline the real life uh, brotherhood that they shared. And so specifically when it came time to uh, Bray Wyatt goes away from injury, comes back as the Firefly Funhouse Bray Wyatt. Uh, with a schizophrenic personality where his other personality is the Fiend, you could have used Bo Dallas in one of two ways. He could have been the host of the Firefly Funhouse as the like the kid friendly version of the Wyatts, or he could have been the one that came out in the mask as the Fiend, so that when people thought, well, no, Bray Wyatt is both of these guys, and all of a sudden. You get that dynamic where, you know, if you remember the, the early 90s, there was an Undertaker versus Undertaker match. WCW had a, a Sting versus Sting uh, around the time when the NWO storyline was, uh, you know, putting Sting in the NWO. And in, in fact, it was an imposter, which would lead to Crow Sting, et cetera, et cetera. So all of a sudden, now you've got potentially Firefly, Funhouse, Bray Wyatt in the ring. Everybody knows that he's the Fiend. And then all of a sudden, here comes the actual Fiend, mask, outfit, and everything. You could have played that off and, like, wait, this guy is that guy. How has this not worked? And so the idea that the writing has made that shift from the 80s, larger than life characters to the realism in the 90s to now just storylines being able to write for themselves, like write themselves into TV and into the pay per views, and for whatever reason they're just missing the boat I, I mean do you guys agree like what do, what do you guys feel about it am i am i onto something or or you, you know disagree really with what i'm saying
2: yeah they're missing the boat on a lot like there's a bunch of stuff that just kind of should be bigger than it is and then you get all this build up to like a pay-per-view and then it just falls flat just like you said you were talking about the bullying so you had Braun Strowman on Raw, and he was um, getting caught out by Shane McMahon all of a sudden. Like, why would you, you know that was kind of ridiculous? And then um, you, he's calling Braun stupid and everything and making fun of him, and then he, Braun Strowman's like, this is for everybody that's getting bullied, and this is just out of nowhere. Like, nobody was talking about bullying and stuff. And then he's like, this is for everybody that's ever been bullied, and I'm going to put Shane in a steel cage, and I'm going to tear him to pieces. And, I mean, it was a good match for some parts of it, but, I mean, it's like as soon as it was over, the feud was over. And it was kind of like where did that even come from to
1: your point it was very lazy writing it was we need to get shane involved into a storyline that we can get him on wrestlemania and the lazy way to do it was to team him up with braun strowman and i agree with you completely it was absolutely lazy like why would you have shane mcmahon bullying a wrestler for simply no reason and i kind of goes to the point uh there you know i think you're about to say something before i cut you off. i apologize.
0: Oh no, you're fine. I uh, <clears throat> this I think this might be just me, but I think there kind of could be a correlation of how wrestling was back in the late '80s, early '90s, like uh, or, I'm sorry, the storytelling in the ring, maybe. Well, I'm, okay, I'm I'm sorry. Uh, I know it's a change of the times. Like back in the uh, like any flare match in the '80s, like uh he would, you know, work like uh, someone would hurt their knee, hurt their knee, and, you know, he would work on the knee, work on the knee. Yeah, the
1: limb targeting, so to speak, yeah.
0: Yeah, so, and I I felt, I guess, like, you know, uh, the storytelling back then was more, um, I guess, deliberate. uh, Fast forward to now, um, um, as Jim Ross says on his podcast, everybody's got to get their shit in, Conrad. So it's more about, you know, the spots more than the, Storytelling, in my opinion, unfortunately, and that might just be uh, kind of the sign of the times.
1: Well, I'm not sure if you guys uh, were following anything uh, in the news this week. There was a writer for Monday Night Raw. Her name was, uh, if I, I hope I'm saying this uh, correctly, Kenneth Mobley or kenneth Mobley. Um, she went on to a podcast and uh, basically said when she was hired to be a writer on Monday Night Raw that she had no knowledge of the product uh there was she i i'm and I'm, I'm gonna paraphrase her quotes instead of looking them up um but essentially she said i know there's a guy named bobby ashley or bobby lashley and the group that he's in is something like the hurt business and they come out in suits like yeah i'm cool i mean that was essentially her quote and i think uh and there was a there was a big conversation I'm in a, I'm in a Facebook uh, wrestling group uh, called suplex City that I, I helped co-run with the founder of it uh, his name is Will Smith affectionately known as the Fresh Prince not the Will Smith that you would think of but I digress um, there's a lot of discussion had you know should writers with no wrestling background be allowed to come and write a television program or, or, or a wrestling program uh, simply you know because it, it's it's on network television? And uh, Kenneth Mobley or Mobley uh was released uh the same week that this story came out uh because it, her ignorance came through uh you know very very loud and clear. And I think I understand the concept of trying to get some outsiders in to give some new perspective to maybe create some different sort of storylines that we're not used to seeing, but I think this attributes or, or, or let me rephrase. I think you can attribute some of the poor storyline writing to writers like this who are brought in with no, no knowledge of, of what wrestling is, uh, no knowledge of the fan base, and at least no base knowledge of what has been happening prior to even their interview. Uh, sure. Because then all of a sudden you're coming in blind. You're like, okay, so you're telling me this is what's going on, so let's, let's move it this way. Um, I, I can't speak to the to you know, again if we're talking lazy storylines uh, years ago, it might have been a few years ago now, uh, where Rusev was still in WWE, mm-hmm. and they had the they had the angle where he and Lana split up and she married Bobby Lashley, and um, again I think it was Vince McMahon has always had a history of loving like the love triangle storylines, and I feel like this was just extreme again another another sign of, of just lazy writing to try to, to, to garner some sort of reaction from the, from the fans. And it leaves a bad taste in people's mouth because, again, we talk about the 80s and 90s. Kayfabe is, has been long gone for many years. Yes. The idea of wrestling these days is to suspend that disbelief. You want to wonder, as, especially as a, gro- as a grown wrestling fan, how much of this is real. And right. how much of this is storyline. Or how much of this is at least believable. I, I talk a lot when when uh, I've got a, a friend of mine. His name is PJ Steven. Uh, goes and reviews all the pay-per-views with me on my podcast. And when we review the matches. A lot of what I have to say is. In each match. What is believable. Versus what is just thrown in there. Uh, to for, for theatrical sake. For instance. In your house a few weeks ago. Uh, there was a lot of flipping around in and out of the ring that did not lead to moves. It did not lead to uh, escapes from moves or anything like that. It was acrobatics for acrobatics sake. Um, Now that comes to more of the producing, producing of the matches. um, But it still goes to the point that you want to be able to believe that that motion is intentional to, to benefit you in the match. So in that same thinking process, you want to believe that what storyline is being presented to you, be it being in the script and the promos or anything else is at least believable. And I think that's where, and and again, I can't speak on new Japan because I'm not as well versed in new Japan, obviously in a lot of their, their talk is in Japanese. So it's going to have a missing translation. Um, I, I, I kind of vaguely follow uh, impact wrestling and same thing with AEW, but specifically in WWE, it's that lack of believability with their storylines that tells me that the, there's there's something wrong with the writing of the shows these days versus in the past.
0: I yeah. just think that us three could possibly write better promos. Yeah, I, I guess that's what we would do. Uh, we wouldn't necessarily be the producers but i mean we are fans of the business uh and you know we don't know the all the inner workings but we know what would what we like what makes sense to what made sense to us and what uh could get over with the fans rather than like you said somebody uh the writers that are pretty much hired i guess out of college have no product knowledge and are just thrown in there to uh, write which I, I do have to say that probably they should do a little bit of their homework or do some homework on the product instead of just saying okay well uh, like you said bo- uh, bobby ashley or jeff harvey you know I- i'm being facetious by the way like have some product knowledge or yeah do some of your homework, do some homework and then you i think you'd be more well versed uh to write compelling television compelling promos. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think,
1: I think that at the, at the core, you should at least like, and again, it goes. To, it can go into any profession. If you go to a job interview, at least with, with the job that I have now, the first question that got asked in my job interview is, what do you know about our company? So if a writer goes into a, a programming, uh, an interview about programming that has to do with pro wrestling, and that first question is what, What do you know about our company? What do you know about our our business? What do you know about our show? If that answer is "I'm sorry, I'm just a writer. I don't know anything about wrestling. I don't watch wrestling. I don't. I I haven't watched your product." That should be immediate disqualification from getting the job in the first place. So to your point, like, and that was and that was the argument that I made all week uh, before she was like, "Oh, is that like, I don't I don't disagree with having somebody come in from an outside perspective, but you should at least." Try to familiarize yourself with what is going on prior to at least the job interview so that you can present some of your ideas in order to get hired.
0: Yes,
2: exactly. Because, I mean, we're trying to get the believability. Um, It just turned out to be like a highlight reel. Yeah. Like, this is like a running gag it's the wwe was embarrassed and it's like i watch WrestleMania a lot and here lately it's just been talking about how stuff is just going downhill like the pay-per-views as of lately i started watching it again full-time like last year and i've watched nearly all the pay-per-views they plainly suck it's like, why? What you? What's going on?
1: I so. I wouldn't say that they've all sucked. Um, they've got some bad matches in there, but yeah. going back, going back to WrestleMania, because I've reviewed every pay per view WWE has put out since WrestleMania, and both nights of the WrestleMania card had some fantastic matches, uh, despite Night One having the the weather delay. Um, yeah. I, I just I just published an episode uh, recently where where PJ Steven and I reviewed In Your House, and outside of the opening match, the rest of it was 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 very disappointing and lackluster. Uh, I looked at uh, I don't I'm not sure if you've if you've seen Hell in a Cell yet. Uh, minus there was one match between Charlotte Flair and Rhea Ripley for the uh, Raw Women's Championship that had a really a really stupid finish, um, and I we can get on the we can get on the production of that. Uh, but but. The rest the, the wrestling itself has not been bad. It's the situations that they've been put in based on poor writing. And then for whatever reason, and, it, and it's, and it's mind boggling to me, and, and I, I don't mean to shift focus here from the writing to the producing now. But they've got former wrestlers that are producing these matches that are pitching to these wrestlers. Hey, this is what you should do in the match. Make sure you hit this spot. Make sure you hit that spot. This is going to be the finish. It makes no sense where a championship match like it like in the case of Hell in a Cell that it would end in a disqualification because the champion pulled up the flimsy part of the, the announce table and smacked the challenger in the head with it. You yeah. should never you should never have a championship match like the main event end in a schoolboy roll up, uh, especially after how. Absolutely, just brutal that match was. I mean, that match was the longest match on the card. It went over twenty-six minutes. They beat the hell out of each other the entire match, but the finish was just—it—it it, it made no sense. And so, not only are they lacking uh, from from a writing standpoint to to put together one believable storylines and two storylines that will keep people interested, uh, they struggle in in creating these matches that have. Great pageantry and great storytelling and then completely shit on the on the on the the audience with the finish. I mean, some of the best compelling storylines right now in WWE are over on SmackDown with the Roman Reigns storyline and and the bloodline. Now that Jimmy Uso is back, how are they going to interact uh, Jimmy and Jay Uso and, and get them back on the same page with Roman? I mean, again, that's good writing. And I think it, you can attribute that because Paul Heyman is involved you can contribute that to the fact that Visit Ban and WWE have been pushing Roman Reigns for years, and now that he came back from, from, from the COVID disappearance and, and came back as a heel, he's doing some of his, his best work. And his matches lately have been, have been fire. But it's just a matter of, like, once again, Roman Reigns has had some strong finishes. If you go back to the WrestleMania triple threat between he, Daniel Bryan, and Edge, he stacked Edge and Daniel Bryan on top of each other and got the pin over both of them. Really impressive, really impressive optic, uh, really impressive showing. The match itself was great and had great action in it for a triple threat match. Um, you know, even his match on on, on SmackDown where he just knocked off Rey Mysterio and retained his title, it had a really good finish. There was violence and you know, all throughout the match. It was it was very well put together. But for whatever reason, specifically when you get on these on these big pay-per-view cards, it just falls flat because, you know first of all, you've built with some really, really crappy storylines and crappy writing to the, to the storylines and the promos. And then you, you, you fall short of, of the execution in ring. And I, and I don't mean to to get on another, another uh, soapbox or, or to continue my rant, but one of you mentioned something about the promos. The promos are overly scripted. I yeah. mean, it's, it's one of the reasons why wrestlers like to go to AEW because they can sort of wing it and, and pitch stuff around. But WWE's promos are so heavily scripted that a lot of the times these guys can't go off, off, uh, off script. They can't, uh, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? They, ca- they can't wing anything. Like back in the 80s and 90s, it was like, hey, you know, you're going to go and you're going to – Ric Flair, you're going to run your mouth about Sting. These are some points that you can touch on and then do the rest of it. And they went out and rolled it off, you know, just like that. And they're not allowed to do that in WWE. And a lot of the times, uh, they're rewriting the shows hours before the shows even go on. Yeah. So it's like these these poor guys and and and, and poor ladies are, are getting set up for failure uh in, in all ways, shapes, and forms. And and I mean, I'm I'm not sure how to fix it. I mean, Derek, I know you mentioned that that you thought that the three of us could get together and put put together some compelling uh storylines and some com- compelling you know scripts and whatnot but at the end of the day you've also got to go through there's, there's one power you know one authority in wwe yeah. and if and if he doesn't like what you have to write or what you have to say he's gonna nix it and do what he wants to so and, and i you know i can't i can't bite the hand that feeds me like he's he's entertained me for going on on 20 years now uh but at the same time at some point like you feel like you'd have to listen to the fans and, and kind of give them some stuff that they could they could enjoy that's new and refreshing and not just rehashed. I mean, does that does that make sense? Do you guys agree with me?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely do. Um just to move the segment along, I know Kendrick had a couple of points he wanted to uh hit on real quick. So uh I'm gonna let you do that, Ryan. Okay, so the
2: writing. I was highly disappointed in the Goldberg versus McIntyre match. it it was the it was overhyped, it was a lot of buildup, and it was a waste of pay-per-view, honestly. Like it they started out not even in the ring. But I forgot whoever attacked who before they even got in the ring. And then it was just really slow and It was kind of like predictable, kind of like I feel like Goldberg threw that match and he wasn't on top of his game at all. That's just how I feel about that one. And it was just kind of like, really, this was on a pay-per-view and it was severely overhyped versus Uh, was back in 2003.
0: Yeah, I I was going to say, I obviously didn't see that match either. Um, but just from, like, a logical standpoint, and I hate to be analytical, logical, Goldberg's, like, over 50, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. Drew McIntyre's around our age. I'm thinking th- just just how he uh, – sorry to go back to how he just beat Kevin Owens for the uh, for the World
1: – The Prize Universal or, Championship. Universal at, Championship. I'm at, like,
0: yeah. just shit all over Kevin Owens. For what? For a guy that okay, a, the big name recognition. I mean, and he had like a short match because he, at, I, am I'm, I'm glad that Goldberg did not beat Drew McIntyre just because that would have pissed me off. Like you know, the part timer. He's over fifty. He's yeah. wasn't that great as a re, uh, as a wrestler to begin with. Now as a, like a, a brute, uh, like like how he just destroyed uh, Lesnar and how that match at Survivor Series. That one year was uh, uh, written. That that was perfect. But I'm like, it, it, to, to me, after a while, that gets old. I just wanted to interject there before uh, you took over, Boy Ride.
1: Yeah. So Kendrick, just to, just to, just to ver- I just want to make sure I'm, I'm understanding. You thought the writing for the match wasn't good, or you thought the booking, like the 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 pro- the production of the match wasn't good. Like, were you Are saying you- that the, the build up to the match or the actual match itself?
2: The actual match itself was kind of it sucked. I didn't yeah.
1: Really- I don't so, care. so, so, a couple things. One, to Polly's point, the match between Kevin Owens and Goldberg uh, was clearly to set up the, the the third and final match between Goldberg and Lesnar. Goldberg, as you mentioned, is in his fifties. Uh, it's hard for you to keep up that physique, and he wanted his son to be able to see him in the ring, and he wanted to sort of make up for the bad taste he left in everybody's mouth when he left wrestling in, as a whole uh, in the early two thousands when he left WWE. So to your point, like, it's, it's, it's crappy that he sort of squashed Kevin Owens uh, in between Royal Rumble and WrestleMania a few years ago. I believe the show was in Orlando that he that he would lose the Universal Championship to Brock Lesnar. But from a storyline standpoint, it made sense to build. He had just shocked the world and squashed Brock Lesnar. Uh, and then they were going to give him the championship because Brock Lesnar was was in the storyline plans for the future. Now, as far as his match with Drew McIntyre at the Royal Rumble in 2020, uh, if you go back and look at that match and it might not have been 2020, it might've been 2021. Um, mm. but cause I, it had to have been this year because it was, it was, uh, it was in the Thunderdome. There was all the, the screens and stuff up everywhere. If you go back and look at Goldberg, his entrance into that match, he didn't have his regular wrestling attire. Um, and when he was, when he, when he worked out and, and prepared his return a few years ago, when, with the, Rock Lesnar storyline. You could tell that he had done a lot to get himself in shape. The Goldberg match with Drew McIntyre was essentially set up to elevate Drew McIntyre to lead up to that eventual championship match with Bobby Lashley, as well as like just him being like a strong champion. Like there's only been, I think less than 10 people in the history of WWE that have beaten Goldberg. Uh, some of the likes of the Undertaker, uh, Triple H, uh, Booker T. Uh, so yeah. having Drew McIntyre go over a guy like Goldberg is going to make Drew McIntyre look that much stronger. So from a storyline perspective, it made sense. Although again, during that lead, during that build up, Drew McIntyre got COVID, so you could you didn't have the proper time to build on TV that little mini that little mini rivalry, if you even want to call it that, in order to, to build up that match at the Royal Rumble. So, uh, so there's, that, there's that aspect of it. And then when I mentioned Goldberg showed up for the match, he wasn't the Goldberg we've seen. Uh, he, he was not in the right sort of shape. Um, and I don't think, to, to your point, Kendrick, I think the the limitations to Goldberg's physique and his ability at this age limited his ability to put on a really, truly good match with Drew McIntyre. So we don't know if the people who produced that match wanted to do more and Goldberg just couldn't physically do it. But to your point, when you're trying to put on product that is the best product out there, you want to put your, your best athletes on the screen, in the ring, to put on the best match you can. And if Goldberg cannot give you that match – Then, again, Kendrick, to your point, he shouldn't have been in that match, and that's why the match fell flat. Uh, But nevertheless, um, again, from my perspective, it made sense why they did it. Uh, But, again, it goes back to poor execution. And, you know, again, it's sort of that unknown if they wanted to do more and they just couldn't because Goldberg was not the Goldberg that we saw jackhammering the Giant in the late 90s. So um, that's sort of where I come at from that perspective.
2: Okay. (laughs) I was just looking at it as like somebody that you know has said like oh cool this is goldberg he's back he's gonna be on a pay-per-view like not focused on storylines or anything like as a fan and they're like oh who is this goldberg and i heard he was really good back then and then you watch the pay-per-view as like a newcomer and then you see that and it's like oh uh
1: yeah, uh, to your point, it was a very lazy attempt to get Drew McIntyre yeah. over, um, and and that yeah, and that has to do with writing and the people behind the scenes. If you're absolutely right from that perspective.
2: That's what I was looking at more than anything. You I, I was like, eh, okay, but I mean, I do get it. Somebody wanting to push Drew McIntyre um, since only a handful of people have put Goldberg over, but again, I was looking at if I'm a fan and I'm a first timer, it would kind of been like disappointing to me, but I mean, I look at it all. I try to look at it all from different perspectives.
0: Yeah. Um, I had a point I wanted to make, but uh Boy Rye already uh, touched on it with a uh, Ray White and Bo Dallas. Um, but then again, I did message you last night and say, and say I was going to use that, but it was from your show. So I, I
1: apologize for overstepping. That is entirely my, my, you know, my, my, my apologies.
0: No, that's fine. Um, I guess really the only other point I, I had written down, you know, did, did a little bit of research. Well, I didn't do enough research. Um, was I remember either seeing on WrestleMania or Cultaholic or what culture? Uh, Stephanie McMahon had made a talent, or I guess the talent went off script. And she made that certain talent go and apologize to every single writer. I don't remember who it was. Maybe one of you two remember who it was. But to me, that was just like, that kind of goes back to your point, like how everything is over scripted. And if you go off script, you have to go apologize to the writers because they spent all that time, you know, writing your promo and you didn't do it exactly like. They had it written down, so you have to, you know, apologize to them. That's, to me, that's kind of mind blowing, but, like, and not in a good way. But, I, yeah. Yeah, I'm not
1: sure. Um, I'm not sure that situation. I know the only, the only thing I remember her making her making an apology for, for anything was when uh, Mickey James was released earlier this year, and they, an employee sent her belongings back to her in a trash bag. Um, but no, I'll have to do some research because I'm curious to see what uh, what talent was forced to go and apologize to the writing staff for for going off script. That's actually I say that
0: was three, two, three, four years ago that I heard that that happened. So it wasn't recently.
1: I'll have. Yeah, I'll have to look into it. It might be something I can I can you know come back and talk to you about on this show or maybe you guys can come on my show and we can talk about it. So either way, I'm I'm, I'm going to look it up and research it
2: all right sounds good yeah i couldn't think of who it was i saw something like chippers or something but it turned out to be that was a writer or a doctor maybe it was just somebody that was posting about it on a website but um the trash bag gate is the only thing that i could find
1: yeah same here now it might have been you might be referring to when dusty Rhodes went off script Back in 2013, I just found an article on Bleacher Report um, that, uh, if you give me a second, sure. uh, according to Dave Meltzer and the Wrestling Observer, um, there was a a scripted moment uh, that was switched uh, during a nose-to-nose confrontation between Dusty and Triple H. Uh, it's, the article reads, for those who watched Raw, the American Dream decided to improvise by putting his left hand in the face of Stephanie McMahon, a third-party Observer. While he was making his point to her husband, this immediately prompted Stephanie a man to slap Dusty's hand in a way uh in a moment of primal instinct. Um, so that may be what you're referring to. Um, but that's that's the first thing that I could see. And that was back in twenty thirteen. So um,
0: longer than what I thought originally. Yeah. So okay. Kendrick, do yep. you have any other uh Because I like I said we're- fully right I took my other only other uh,
1: i i'm so sorry i didn't mean to do that i was yeah that's 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 my bad completely
2: that's fine well not really points or anything but there's like a couple things that i want to hit on like entrances between now and then um i get covid and you're in the thunderdome they're hopefully they go back to the full entrances whenever they start doing live tours, um, like the disappearances of wrestlers, like where's Keith Lee? What's going on with him? Where's Bray Wyatt? What happened? The whole Alexa Bliss fame thing at that one pay-per-view, I didn't understand it, but he's not been there. And then the women's Hell in a Cell matches, they have been spectacular. In my book. Especially yeah. uh, Bailey and um, Sasha Banks. That was... Yes.
1: Yeah. Great. If you haven't checked out Hell in a Cell 2021, the Bianca Belair-Bailey match might top that, that first Hell in a Cell match. It was, if not the best match on the card, the second, the, the, the second best match on that card. It was a phenomenal match between Bailey and Bianca Belair.
2: I've got to watch it because... I think I stopped watching it before the match. There was just something that kind of aggravated me. I don't remember what it was, but I just kind of quit watching the whole pay-per-view altogether.
1: Well, I uh, I think to your point is, again, I don't mean to, to overstep, but you asked where Keith Lee was and where Bray Wyatt was. Uh, so to to sort of, I guess, put it in perspective right now, Keith Lee has has put a couple of cryptic tweets out there that he wanted to let the fans know what was going on. And then as early as as this past week, there was a report that there was a a dispute in his naming rights with WWE, which would lead me to believe that he is about to be another one of those uh superstars that are going to be on the release list that is that has drawn almost 30 names at this point. And then uh when it comes to Bray Wyatt, um Bray Wyatt my understanding uh, is not in real life has not been in a good middle state since the death of Brody Lee slash Luke Harper. And so that might be a contributing factor to where he has been written off of TV, but that'll be, you know, it'll be interesting to see how he comes back and how they can, can package him, especially to sort of get his revenge on Alexa bliss. And again, if you talk about non-lazy writing, it'd be a perfect opportunity to get Bray Wyatt to somehow summon a Sister Abigail and let somebody come come in and play Sister Abigail to feud with with Alexa Bliss. So, you know, there's that.
0: Which we will definitely not get because that's how WWE does. I mean, to us that makes sense, but to WWE it's, I don't know.
1: It's the old adage, if it makes sense, they probably won't do it.
2: (laughs) Right.
0: That's all that I really had written down. (laughs) Yeah. That's really all I had too. Um, I know this segment go went a little bit longer than most of our normal segments. Um, we apologize for that. Uh, for, well, I mean, I'm sorry, bully. Right. I know your, uh, segments, you know, they, they go along because you you got the podcast. Um, but for our listeners, uh, hopefully you, you, you enjoyed it. Um, uh, yeah, because most of our segments are like maybe 10, 15 minutes because we try to keep it about an hour or so so. Um, but if this happens to go long for the show, so be it. I've I, I really had a very uh, good time discussing and hearing everyone's viewpoints on uh, this topic. So uh, it was uh, very refreshing. Yeah, it
2: was. And I really appreciate you for uh, reaching out to Derek and uh, letting us... Um be able to talk with you and we it would be a pleasure to be on your podcast as well too. So, um, yeah, we're always looking for subscribers and other people to chat with.
1: No, I, I really appreciate the opportunity to be on your show. I'm sorry that I, I tend to get long winded and I've been actually trying to do do a better job myself of making some of my segments on my show a little shorter. So I apologize for coming on your show and being long winded. Uh, but I'll definitely have you on on my show at some point, very in the very near future. Uh, we can talk wrestling if if you want to talk about football, we can talk about that. Uh, but yeah, I greatly appreciate you allowing me to be on your show, and uh, and you guys will be on Tap house and Touchdown at some point, very very soon.
0: Cool. Well, in that case, I'm gonna need to brush up on my NFL knowledge. In uh, just just real quick uh, for everyone on here, um, if you if you may or may not be a football fan, uh, last year when and This is just going to be random. Uh, when Tom Brady and the Buccaneers lost to the Saints twice, I'm thinking, oh, well, I, I I don't really foresee this going over well. And then he ends up winning the damn Super Bowl. That's just my plug of, uh, you know, uh, football for this show. So I'm like, well, I, I guess anything's possible.
2: I'm not really that much of a football person, so... I don't really have anything to go on. Well,
1: nevertheless, we'll get you and We'll talk some wrestling. We'll have a good time.
2: All right. And as always, I am Ryan, and please like and subscribe. And if you don't, then we'll send little elves to come and chop off your toes.
0: <laughs> you, know, you always use that line. All right, we'll catch you later.